0: This podcast is brought to you by Online Retailer, Australia's leading retail tech conference, expo and networking organization. Recorded at the Online Retailer Conference in 2016, here we chat with world-class digital leaders to bring you industry insights, practical examples and actionable ideas from our incredible community of retail renegades, marketing masters and creative entrepreneurs who all want to do retail business big. We want to extend the conversation after the event and to keep exploring where the future meets retail. So let's talk shop. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Online Retailer Podcast. I'm Kylie Lewis, and in this episode, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Monica Promsavan from Motorbox. Welcome, Monica. Hi! Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a delight to have you all the way here from the US. Yes. Um, but there'll be a lot of people in our audience, a lot of listeners who actually don't know much about Motorbox, so I'd like to start off our conversation today by just having a bit of a chat about um, what is Motorbox, and you're, you're the founder of Motorbox, um, so what that involves and how
1: you actually got to start the business. Absolutely. Um, So I'm the co-founder of Motorbox. I do have two other founders, my technical partner and my COO. And um, I started Motorbox because I wanted to provide my customer with a better experience and the comfort of their own homes. So essentially by having a store, we were struggling doing some of the things that I wanted to do better for a customer. So Motorbox is a data-driven, online, personalized styling shopping service for women, and what we do is we're delivering fully coordinated outfits curated by expert stylists, um, powered by the data and high-level recommendation from a custom-built algorithm. Mm.
0: So, so it's, a, it's a personalized shopping service uh, for women's mm-hmm. fashion Yes, um, that's driven by all the data that they give you about mm-hmm. their size, their shape, their height, their weight. Um, their style preferences yes, yes yes and and then the algorithm that you've created the data that you um, that you
1: have then creates a, a, a wardrobe a box to actually send to them um a filter down a selections of inventory for the stylist to be more productive and mm-hmm. for the stylist to be able to do the final touch um you know our stylists have also a glimpse of our client social media so we can see what are they like in pinterest what are they doing on Instagram and they're giving us um, hints or inspiration of their style and the stylist will be able to complete the look by getting all extracting that information and uh, we are definitely uh, delivering fully coordinated outfits because um, Women in the U.S. do buy 64 new articles of clothing a year, but they always end up having nothing to wear. (laughs) (laughs) I I get that. (laughs) Yeah, because you buy, because you need, you buy bottoms, you buy top, and then you're like, what do I do with all this? Um, And that's why we wanted to incorporate the personal styling, because we want to make sure that, you know, we're building the relationship with you, not by just selling you a top. We want to be part of your wardrobe.
0: Mm. And... um, that's normally a service That styling service that's sort of reserved for the celebrities we hear about all the celebrities who have their stylists um it sort of seems a little bit unattainable for the regular woman yeah so how is it that you make that possible
1: uh for many years it was unattainable um only celebrity was using it and only um affluent clients and expensive store but um because of my experience in working in a luxury house at Burberry, and then also my experience working in a fast fashion company like Limited Brands, I've always felt that, you know, when I walk into certain store, people will not even say hi to me. But and then when I go to Fifth Avenue, I'm like suddenly the queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I it was never like a between service, and I wanted to be able to provide that service, but also, you know, treating a customer as a human, not what they're spending and with the innovation in today's technology and e-commerce that all can be that can be all done at scale um you know you communicate you can in store you can communicate with one customer at a time and online you can communicate with five customers at the, at the same time and you the customer never feel unattended mm-hmm. it's you cannot have a one-on-one conversation on front of someone and then talk to another person at the same time but with you know today technology email text messages you know schedule your calls and you can manage that and you can manage also at a scale because you have this algorithm that filter down a lot of the choices for you already
0: yeah, so the data has been really important, but um, you touched on there just mm-hmm. your your background, mm-hmm. and um, we haven't covered that off yet. So I'd <laughs> like to I'd like to jump back into that because you didn't just wake up one day and have this idea for this service. Yes. Um, there's a, there's a pretty rich history of how you got to where you are today. So I'd like yes. to like to go back and explore uh, how did how did you actually arrive at Motorbox?
1: Uh, so I arrived would Motorbox because um, I worked in retail for over 15 years and I also was a personal stylist and I also done everything from product to inception to lounge and, and I, I'm also a shopper. So there's so many gaps and so many problems that like between now and shopping. And you know, today, like I mentioned, uh, women are dedicating more of their life into the Korea and becoming leaders in the field. And we don't have time. Like, how could you juggle, like, 40 hours work week and try to look amazing, Mm -hmm. right? And and all that. So I want to make that part seamless and convenient for our customer. And that problem came as a personal problem because I was working a lot and I still, like, struggle getting dressed every morning. Even though you work in fashion. I, yes. (laughs) And I was like, if I have this problem, everybody has this problem. Because it would took me, like... Thirty to forty-five minutes to get ready to put an outfit together, and you know if you can, if if you think about Einstein or even like Mark Zuckerberg, they wear the same or Steve Jobs, they wear the same type of clothing because they take a lot of willpower to figure out what you're gonna wear. Yeah, and instead of using all that time and the willpower um, to figure out what you're gonna wear in the morning, you can utilize it making breakfast for your kid having a conversation with your husband, or having an extra 20 minutes for your emails mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the biggest reasons to solve the problem that women face now that we are growing and we're becoming more um, leaders in their fields and don't have time to shop. Yeah. So what was your first retail job? Oh, so I remember I was 15 years old. I work at a wholesale store um, in Argentina. I just moved to Buenos Aires. I saw a sign on the window looking for help. I'm like, well, why not? I'll help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Walked in and they hired me immediately. And, and it's funny because in the job interview, like I never asked them, like, oh, how much am I gonna pay? Like, so just like, just hire me. I was happy. And at the end of the month, um, and we could pay in you know, we could pay every 30 days. Um, my check arrived, it was $350. And I was going home and I was like, what? I just worked 60 hours a week for this money, like very little money. But I was very grateful. Um, so I learned at a very young age how to communicate with people, how to sell, how to take rejection. We were selling. What were you selling? Sweater. Yeah. Yeah. It was a wholesale sweater store. So I did that, and eventually, you know, I worked in many areas of retail, and I eventually, and when I was at Express, um, they eventually promoted me for management, and they trained me how to understand everything about the business, how to run a business in a corporate America. And that's how I learned my
0: business skill. <laughs> so you were 15. You were yes. in Argentina. Yeah. You were working for a wholesale sweater yes. store. Mm-hmm. You then decide to save up some money and head to the
1: U.S. So when I was 17 years old, I had an opportunity to reunite with my mother. That She was already in the U.S. She left Argentina when I was six years old. And, um... And we, we met, and then she was the one that paid for the ticket. She's the one to took care of everything. And I came to the U.S., and um, I couldn't speak English. so And um, I didn't have a degree or anything. So my very first job, I worked at a chocolate factory. And then, you know, eventually, I was a little bit more comfortable going to the world and just kind of work at the mall for a while. And then that's how I, I, I built my, my retail career in, in the U.S., but um, yeah, I landed in in US when I was 17 years old. Yeah. So from chocolate, how do you end up at Burberry? So after the after the chocolate, I went in retail, and I worked at the mall, and then I worked for Express, which is um, is a giant retailer in the US, and they were the one that promoted me for management. And at that time um, was I was moving to New York, and that's the part where you know I I, I went to New York I had nothing to lose basically so what's the worst right so i decided to just go and i had two hundred dollars and two suitcases full of (laughs) belongings. and um, it just sounds like the classic new york story oh my god it sounds like (laughs) it's funny because when i was talking about my speech and i looked at it i was like this is like the ultimate american dream (laughs) it is Mm -hmm. so yeah it's the ultimate american dream so yeah i arrived to new york i was fearless i went door to door to ask for a job in Fifth Avenue. And I really wanted to work for Hugo Boss, but they called me way later. <laughs> so Burberry called me they first. Missed the app, they missed out, they weren't fast me... enough. Yeah, <laughs> so Burberry took me first and I spent four years there. And that's when I gained a lot of my experience in luxury house and um, also understanding how to serve client better. Um, because fast fashion doesn't really, you know, you think about operational, you think about, operation or you think about you know uh, you constant revenue per hour but you know in, in a luxury house you constantly think about long term about clientele and about repeating customer mm-hmm. so deep relationships yeah so i learned deep relationship and i implement both business fast fashion with deep relationship and i you know i i, I use it a lot today in my in my business model
0: yeah and you can see that you can see how you're how your training in both ends of the spectrum has said, well, there's something in between here. Yes. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap in between. Yeah. And that's what you've, you've really um, grasped a hold of in, in your service. Yeah. Um, so you then went and opened up your own store. Mm-hmm. And I find this part of your story fascinating. Um, can you tell us a bit about that, that first store and yeah. even describe the physical space of yeah. what, it, what it was?
1: So, yeah, um, at that time, I was in New York, so I met designers, a few designers and vendors, and I convinced them. I'm like, listen, if you give me your product, I'll sell it for you. And, I mean, I had experience in sale, right? Yeah. So, I went to this event, um, selling event, and I come back home with a good amount of money, good enough to, like, not have a corporate America job. So I said I'm gonna do this and um I started to selling on the street everywhere. Like on the street fair and to anyone and like pop ups kind of idea. Yeah, it's like yeah. a pop up. Like yeah. street fairs in New York. And um and then one night, I was just walking in Chelsea, and it was just like a serendipity. I walk into this building, and I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. Like, what is this? Because it's a church from the outside. Yeah, know it know. looks like a church from the outside, yeah. You have no idea what it is. So yeah. I step in, and I'm like, whoa, like, this is, like, a magical to me. Like, the experience was amazing. So I was like, how can I be here? And I was just curious, like, always ask. So I asked the people from there, like, you know, who's the building manager? Like, what, what do I need to do? So I went to a a submission application and they liked my product enough to put it in the store. And they gave me a kiosk of the size of this room, smaller than this room, which is, I don't know what's the centimeter. but We'll probably go like three meters by four meters. (laughs) Yeah, it was the size of this room. And um, because I was already like, you know, selling, so I convinced more designer to give me more products. I'm like, I have a store now. You should give me your product. And um, yeah, and then we that little store was selling a lot like we were like what's happening and we're one of the most successful tenants in there and the other tenants were leaving not because they were not like generating revenue because the building management was really poorly run and you know sometimes people see this as a as a kind of flag instead of opportunity and for me this for me was like I, is this an opportunity like there's a gap here I had to take it and by then you know I was talking to the building manager and I'm like listen we're a good tenant we're paying rent on time like you know what do you need to do here like you, you, you just come at the end of the month and collect rent rather than like having all these people running the business you know and, and if, if we don't agree I'm eventually gonna have to drop out because you know we're competing so. He was kind enough, he trusted me and you know, obviously in business and in life you have to have that angel that come from the sky and take the first leap. And I think he took the first leap to my like, like Korea to becoming like a, 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 a from a small business to become an entrepreneur. So you took over the running of that? Yes. Yeah, so that- my business so- took over. We he had inventory, so we bought him, we basically sold as much as we could and pay him back as as we were selling. So I didn't have to like put a lot of capital down to acquire mm-hmm. inventory and also all the connections to the relationship we had. And and the like it's located on 6th Avenue and 20th Street. So it's a really, really hot spot in Manhattan and any designer would die to be there. So I was getting a lot of inquiry about being in the space. So it was good for us to like, you know, build that foundation. And we already have like a lot of designers that we are working with. So... We were, you know, we went like super fast, like in last in a year, we had like over a million in sale and we're like, this is working. But at one point being there for like over three years, I realized that um, there wasn't going to be scalable, you know, and I always been the kind of person that's looking for solution and I needed to find a solution for my business. And that's how I came by launching Motorbox.
0: Mm. and one of the interesting things I've I've heard you say is that you what you what you observed Mm -hmm. was the ratio of how many people were going into trying on an outfit Mm -hmm. to how many people then actually converted to Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. to purchasing it yes and so that in that observation seeing that pattern that triggered an idea of well how do I just get more people to try on
1: the clothing yes if it's a a numbers game yes how do I get how do I up the ratio exactly Mm -hmm. it was very simple question like Like, you know, I I was at home one night and we struggled to get people into the store because when it was raining, there was no customer. When it's snowing, it's no customer. When it's too hot, it's no customer. It's like always depending on the weather and always depending on people to come back. And my only relationship I had with my customer was the last four digits of the credit card and maybe the email address. And our relationship ended there. So I was like, okay, if you're trying to build a business where 80% of your client is you know, 20% of your clients is 80% of your revenue. You have to have that, that connection with your customer. And I didn't have that with my customer and I wanted more. So, and also like the, the conversion rate and I'm thinking, okay, so how can we, you know, such and such thing came back this month, but like, how can we still help her? Um, let's send her products, you know, let's figure out, let's, but if we wanted to do this in a nationwide and scale it, we can't just, to random product, people, right? We have to figure out who are this customer? Why would they use the product? What are they looking for? So that's how I started um, with the, our onboarding quest where we asked your preferences, you want, you need, your budget. What do you usually shop? What, what, what do you like about certain things? And then with that information, we are able to send the products. Um. So did you start that in the physical store first or did you convert that straight to online? No, we opened a pop-up store when we launched our website, which is, um, we had it for like less than a year. It was just a pop-up location downtown in South Street, Seaport. And um, our physical customer weren't reacting the same way as the online customer. And it, it was very obvious that the experience was different. Um, we had customers that refused to order a box, even though they know all of us in person. They're like, I really like the experience and touch and feeling. And some and, and some consumers are not educated into, like, how do I even think of that this is going to fit me? Like, you don't even know me, right? So it's about building that relationship. And um, as, as my last attempt, the Omnichannel did not work for my business model. <laughs> right. As my last attempt, but who knows, maybe in the future.
0: Yeah. And I listen to you speak. <throat> there's, um, there's a couple of really interesting things that have come up. <clears throat> um, and you mentioned that when you went to New York that you were fearless. Yeah. You know, it was that fearlessness that um, that said, what
1: have I got to lose?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how do you become fearless?
1: I think my life kind of made me numb, you know, when you go through so much and, you know, it, it, it all started with my parents' journey, right? They suffered from the war. They were refugee. They went to another country. They never got ahead in life. I, so,
0: where were they originally from? Laos. And 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 what happened with them to to cause them to become
1: refugees? During the secret war, the chaos of the violence of the secret war, like in, in Vietnam, yeah, in the seventies, yeah. Yeah. So they flew to Laos and. Um, when they arrived, there was no sponsor, no, no government, and the promise of agriculture work never, never showed up. So my family already faced like a really, you know, a, an environment where you not only poor by being broke, you poor because your heart is broken. You left a country because a whole entire nation, your family behind and everything. And I think that like that all started by watching my parents. And then it started with me later um, when my mom left. And I had to figure out how I'm going to be like this little girl on her own. Mm. And I think that once you go through all the stuff, it's almost like you don't identify the small problem. You see big pictures. And for me, it's like every time I have a problem with the business, I'm like, that's just tiny problem. Like, let's just focus on the big picture. And have you ever thought when you think back, you're like, oh, my God, when I was 15, what I was thinking? Like, I was worried about things that didn't make any sense. And I think that in business, we do that a lot. We worry about every single detail and we want perfection. And sometimes, you know, you just have to go with it. Mm. And I learned how to go with it and then something will come out. <laughs> yeah. So the the
0: fearlessness from, from having hard times when you were really mm-hmm. long, young and having the, that family um, turmoil yes, really, um, really informed you. I mean, for, for some people, they never recover from that.
1: Yes, yes. I was very lucky... Um, in terms of recovering because I moved to New York and I met this amazing group of people. They're like my mentors and enter to today. They're my advisor, my mentor and just really, really good people in my life. And they helped me shape and, in, 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 you know, transform me. And I don't want to take the credit for all my success. Um, without them, I would never be where I'm today. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they really make a huge impact in my life. And I was lucky because of that. And sometimes in life, you just don't have certain things, but you're going to have other things. You're going to be blessed at others. And I was very blessed of having amazing friends. Mm. But you've certainly made, you know,
0: something out of nothing, which was one of the other things that that I've heard you talk about, um, is that capacity to Mm -hmm. actually see the potential, Mm -hmm. you know, when sometimes it doesn't look obvious.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, if you would have asked me when I was 17 years old or when you asked me when I came to New York with $200, would I be where I'm at? now? like, absolutely not. Like, that's why I opened with, like, how did it in my wildest dream I'm sharing the stage with the president of the United States? You know, like me, like someone, like, what are the odds? Absolutely. If I would have think about all those cons against me, I would have never started to begin with. But I think it, it was just, you know when you keep going and then you you start seeing results a little by later and then you you see that like you're you're moving forward sometime the paths are not going to be the same but it's going to get there and um some people are afraid or some people are stuck and they don't give themselves credit but i think that like you know you're you're, you're the only one in charge on building what you want to build and just surround yourself with amazing people
0: mm. the other thing that i i heard you mention was about being curious uh-huh in the world mm-hmm. and, and, and you've described in your journey that you just ask. Yeah. How, how do you, I mean, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with being fearless. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, what have I got to lose? Nothing, I might as well ask.
1: Yes. Um, I always advise any of my staff member or anyone that comes to me, I say to them, like, listen, if you don't ask, the end, like the answer is already no. Like if you didn't ask, it's already a no. So what's the worst going to happen? And I am extremely, like, surprised by how many yeses I have gotten by asking. And I'm just like, this is just happened. I was just asked. Um, yeah, the worst can happen is a no. And you already have a no because you didn't ask to begin with. So I think um, you'd be surprised how much people are into helping you or how much people want to be part of what you're doing and how, you know, like, it's there. And sometimes you're going to get no's. But I think for me, like at a very young age, I learned how to deal with rejection. Um, I think that like if you want to be in retail, the first thing you should do is learn how to be a sales person. Because if you take a lot of no's from customers, it's already like, you know, when you're helping customers, you don't know if they're going to buy it or not, right? you just like, is she going to say yes? Is she going to say no? I'm going to make a sale out of this or not? And dealing with half of that of no's, I think that like it kind of made me kind of like whatever it is what it is and we'll try at least (laughs) well that's the
0: resilience building piece isn't it Mm -hmm. you know and the the more that you hear it it's
1: just like that's okay I'm just moving on to the next one yeah absolutely absolutely like it's you know it's you have to you know Mm -hmm. you can't get stuck um at it and you know I'm it's funny because we're I met somebody few people last night and they tell me that um people in Australia, I don't know if it's true, um, don't tend to talk about failure a lot. And in the US, we're so accustomed to talk about failure. And it's funny because one of the failure was part of my presentation, but and then I was like, OK, maybe I should just take it out. And um, I had two other businesses that didn't did well, you know, and, and my first online business was uh, made to order um, by emerging designer. And didn't go anywhere, you know, but I learned from that and I built amazing relationship with the designers and now I'm able to build a second business. You know, so it, it's 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 try, it's, it's try and and do play with it. It's worth if you don't do anything about it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um so how did you come across your business partners then? That, that helped you get Motorbox up and running? Because you said that there's co- you've got a couple of co-founders, mm-hmm. um, a technical co-founder um, mm-hmm. and a COO. Mm-hmm. Were, were they people that um, you came across in your other businesses or were they investors? Or
1: Yeah, so my first co-founder, which is my CTO, um, invested in my very first business when we were growing and we needed capital for, him for more growth. Um, and because he got a pay... I check back (laughs) at that time we build a relationship and um, he happened to be technical and you know he always follow my career what I'm doing and when I pitch him the the solution of like you know think about it if we can convert this or you know if we can you know capture data if we can grow this um you know like it would be amazing right it's a hard work but it would be a great result so he was very into it and he was used to building just basic sites that didn't have any challenge and he loved the challenge and he was like, if you think about clothing, clothing have like 120 attribute and a human has like 100 attribute like, you know, we're not just like 120 pound and 5'8", we also light skin, we also have brown hair, we also like, you know, don't want to show our legs, we also have this and that it's just a lot of information. And he's the geek. Um, he's the one that's MIT Harvard graduate. <laughs> so he's the brain in terms of that. Was he
0: a friend of a friend or was he an associate that you'd met? Or did
1: you deliberately go after looking, looking for investors? Um, it was more like a friend, like a yeah. personal friend. that invested in my first company and then I was able to find. an angel. angel yes, investor. an yeah. angel investor. Yeah. So he did wrote us the first check and then he saw how we were, uh, we, you know, show results and... He came on board so i was lucky about that and my second co-founder um it was my advisor for seven years when i first started my store um he's in the industry and i always go to him about designers and brands and how do i deal with all this margin and what do i do and product liability and all that stuff so he was really incredible in terms of advising me for seven years and then when i told him the first time I want to start he thought it was crazy <laughs> he didn't believe um that the business model, the personalization was not going to work because he's in retail also. But and then a year later, I'm like, look, people want this. And then um, he got to learn more about personalization, about tech, and, um, and you know, how retail, the traditional retail is changing. Mm. You know? And yeah, and he wanted to be part of it. So I was lucky enough for that.
0: Yeah. So again, that fearlessness and that curiosity to just ask questions and surround yourself with great people, yeah, um, you know, is the, is the case and so um, there's a lot of talk obviously about retail and how mm-hmm. it is changing and how it is very challenging mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how things have been going for you since you've moved to the completely online model
1: I personally love it um, because it allows me to also manage my schedule as an entrepreneur um, having a store I have a staff but I always felt that it was like a constant physical present for me to be there And now having it online, is sort of like a machine that's running on its own. And um, that's one part personally that I love. Um, The second part that I love is that I would never imagine that like, it's insane that like I could send you products that I never met you. I never saw you. I don't own the crystal ball and you happen to buy this product and be able to crack that. It was amazing for me because, you know, if you think about it, um, when you go shopping, how many items do you take to a feeding room?
0: Mm.
1: uh always too many because they won't let me take
0: all of them in and i'm having to you know um go back and go in and out yeah, and all yeah. that kind
1: of stuff because you know i need to take different sizes yes. and yeah. exactly so yeah. what are the chances that you take 10 items and all of them are gonna fit you are pretty slim mm. and the fact that you did it in a physical present you touch it you felt it you tried it on and didn't work right so my thing was wow we can do this like it's fitting like the conversion is great, like people are buying. So if we can crack this in the digital world, like we have the answers to many things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it came up because being in retail, you know, for 15 years and like watching every step, like from, I knew every corner of retail because i worked from the very bottom up. And, you know, and learning how customer react to things and learning how our product work out and learning how, you know, the the, the consumer experience is definitely changing. Like in the U.S. market, people don't just appreciate a great product that shows up in their door. They want convenience. They want personalization. They want seamless experience. Um, People are definitely buying more into experience more than the product now
0: yeah that's definitely that's definitely the way to go isn't it because you know mo- multiple people might be selling the same thing um yes. or you or you know you see the same thing all, all over and it's that it's the experience of how it's put together with something else or how i'm made to feel when i receive this mm-hmm. beautiful curated box mm-hmm. especially for me yes. that's delivered to my house that yes. i can try on yes. um, and and it's facilitated in a way that makes me
1: feel good and um, mm-hmm. and and seen and acknowledged
0: that yeah, why wouldn't we want more of that?
1: Yeah, we, we, definitely. Like, the experience is there. You know, you save time. You can share the looks with your loved ones at home. You don't have to... I mean, who likes reading room nowadays, right? We love to be in the comfort of our home, take our shoe, our heels out, figure out what outfit's going to go with shoes. With, with we want to take our time. Like, one of the things that I really was... Is, like, I, I kind of hate it. It's like taking my items to the fitting room and I have five minutes to decide whether I want to buy it or not. And I've queued up and it's hot and sweaty and it's loud music and it's all going And on. I bought it. And I'm like, <laughs> later I'm thinking, why did I even bought it, right? But now it's like, I have seven days to figure out, to mm. fall in love with it. And I can try on 10 times, mm. you know? And, and you give me this experience for me to like, I can try, try on with, 20 other tops, oh, I can try on with my own thing. I can show it to my mom. I can show it to my sister. I can take my time and the comfort of my own home. Mm. So why not? Like, why mm. not do this experience? Mm.
0: Well, I would just wanted to say thank you so much. I wish you shipped to Australia because I, I recently um, traveled and I was only going for two days and it took oh. me two hours to pack because I was <laughs> trying on so many different combinations and I only had a small suitcase. And I know. It's a pain point that I can see that you're yes. solving. So mm-hmm. um, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, (laughs) Lenny. Thanks for listening. If you've loved what you've heard today, make sure you're subscribed at online retailer.com.au to be the first to know about Australia's best e-commerce events.